Welcome to the Dog Trainers Podcast, a podcast created by dog trainers, for dog trainers, or anyone who's ever fallen in love with man's best friend. Episode 12, a deeper look into balanced dog training. Hey guys, welcome back to the Dog Trainers Podcast. This is episode 12, a deeper look, balanced dog training. Now, we got such a wonderful response from our last episode, A Deeper Look, Pure Positive Training, that we decided to keep this going for a bit. We're going to dissect yet another training method. My name is Mariano. That's Brent. You can find us on Instagram. My Instagram is untameddogco. That's all one word, untameddogco. You can find Brent at Canis Behavior, C-A-N-I-S Behavior. Again, all one word. So we're excited to dissect this thing, and uh, I'm going to kick it over to you, Brent. Thank you so much, Mariano. How you been, man? It's been a Pretty whole good. week since I've heard from you. I know, man. It's been a busy one, I think, for you too. It's been busy. Hey, but they are loosening up some of these quarantine uh, stay-at-home things. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited about it. I can't wait for that day I can go and eat real food. <laughs> stuff that I'm making at the house. What's wrong with stuff at the house? Uh, well, yeah. Well, it's actually it's, I get you. I'm you just get what I'm up. saying. Like yeah. I just, I just, I just want to go. I just want to go eat food that someone else has made for me. You. Episode you know? twelve. A um, something not from a box. Dog also, training. That'd be ideal. <laughs> Uh, but anyways, welcome back, everybody. Uh, as Mariano said, this is our balanced dog training episode where we're going to break down uh, some of the good practices, bad practices of balanced dog training. But we're also going to go ahead and talk about what balanced dog training is. Um, that's super important. So I guess let's let's dive into what it is. Um, balanced dog training, in essence, if we're going to put it together in a you know, several sentences, or I'm going to try my best to put it in one sentence, uh, balanced dog training is a multidisciplined approach in training uh, where we are able to customize um, and, and design specific uh, program protocols for the type of dog that we're training. Now, um, now I know this might be able to be applied to a bunch of different types of dog training. However, the difference between balanced dog training is that we pull from a bunch of different training philosophies, techniques, ideas, theories, um, practices in order to be able to get our, our clients, both the human and the dog clients to be able to get, get, uh, understand each other on a more balanced level. Right. Um, and, uh, obviously when we say the word balanced, we are leaning towards the middle, right? That's one way to look at this. Um, however, we kind of, it's a sliding scale in the middle is kind of what I, how I look at it, because there are some dogs who need a little bit more of this. There are some dogs need a little bit more of that. Um, and our job as balanced dog trainers is to be able to assess and not only, not only assess, but to be able to have the knowledge, um, and experience in a multidisciplined approach to be able to help as many dogs, um, as possible with those different knowledge bases. Yeah, I think it's it's important to point out for people because I completely agree with that statement that it's it's a job of a good balanced trainer to seek the middle. Mm-hmm. The middle isn't always exactly the middle, but but the concept is there. You know, if a dog needs a little bit more of this type of method versus this type of method, it doesn't necessarily mean that the dog would do its best under only one form. You know, let's. For an example, let's say the two big camps are always like pure positive versus, you know, what's like the absolute maximum. I think in most people's heads, let's just say like e-collar work is like the epitome of corrective training as people see it. They think of e-collars as like if your dog is really, really bad. Right. Mm -hmm. And we know that's not the case. But no, just as an example, it's rarely like 50 percent of each of these. The truth is somewhere in between. 
So it'll be like 80% food work with 20% e-collar or, you know, vice versa, depending on the dog and the situation. So I completely agree with that statement, you know, so for young trainers listening to us, just keep in mind, the middle isn't always at 50, but wherever it does exist, you find that and you work from there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's, I think seeking, seeking the balance is something that we'll talk about a little bit later, but yeah. uh, we'll get into that a little bit later. So, um, I personally consider myself a balanced dog trainer. Mariano, how about you? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Per- perfect. So let's go ahead and dive in a little bit into our stories, how we became balanced dog trainers. Um, I'll go ahead and get started. Um, so when I learned how to be a dog trainer in the very beginning, it wasn't all necessarily, it definitely was a, was a very unevolved version of what I do now. Right. Um, however, uh, what I was introduced to, um, this is something we'll, we can talk about later in a different podcast. I was introduced to a very traditional form of training, which is called the Keeler method of dog training. Um, and Keeler method is one of the, one of the more traditional military forms of style of dog training. Um, a lot of leash involved, a lot of correction involved, a lot of collars involved. Um, and this form of dog training, um, again, in context was designed for dogs who uh, were aggressive, who were about to get put down or who were about to get euthanized. So the pool of dogs that this training method was created from was the very driven, stubborn, uh, dominant, uh, mm-hmm. reactive, aggressive type dogs, right? Um, so in as a, as a byproduct of that, a lot of the methods were pretty heavy handed. You know, um, uh, definitely it did, it did kind of sway a little bit more to this idea that, uh, dogs in essence were trying to control you. Um, so I definitely know what it's like to have a dominance dog mentality, right? Where, um, dogs are dominant creatures and if you don't control them first, they're going to learn to control you, yada, yada, yada. All the things we've talked about in other podcasts that, uh, that don't sit right with uh, anyone nowadays. Right. Um, but uh, just like anything, you you learn, and eventually, what happens is you learn the limits uh, of that method or technique or philosophy that you run, which eventually forces you to learn something different or something new. Uh, now, as it usually goes in my story, um, I went from one extreme to a very different extreme, where I went from a, a correction based and pressure based training. Uh, to where now I wanted to work with motivation. I wanted to work with food. I wanted to work with all these different things. And what happened to me specifically over over 10 years was there were many dogs that I would run into that I'd be able to help. And then there would be a handful of dogs that I wouldn't be able to help, that I wasn't able to be effective with, that I wasn't, that in essence, I felt I let the dogs down. Mm-hmm. Um, I let the, the their owners down. And it got to this point where, I, I, my passion for wanting to help more animals forced me to continue to learn things. So I would read books, I would watch seminars, I'd, or I'd go to seminars, I'd watch videos, I would download and pay for any subscription thing that I could pay for and watch at the time so I could learn something new. Um, and I remember a very powerful video. Um, it's actually, it's, it's, uh, it was Michael Ellis's The Power of Training Dogs with Food. And I remember seeing this complete different um, look at dog training um, and, and, and what it did, it opened my eyes up to a spectrum of dog training. I didn't really know what it was or what it was going to be called later in the future, but I started to see all these different 
toolboxes to choose from, right? Like I had my, my driver set, I had my, my wrench set, I had my, you know, all these different tools that now uh, where I just thought before I had a hammer and some nails, you know? So I had a, I had a big diverse group of, of tools and gradually through the years, what we started uh, diving into is I started diving into a little bit more of like competitive food work. I started diving into some protection work and and things like that. Um, I started diving into uh, behavioral modification and reading a lot of studies and getting to work with a couple of veterinary behaviorists nearby uh, to just understand their philosophies and their ideas and being able to put their 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 things to practice or their philosophies to practice. And so you start to the the, the more knowledge I gained, the more that the matrix in my brain started connecting all the dots. And I had this matrix of knowledge in my brain that um, eventually would later become my version of balanced dog training, right? And so that's how I started. How did you start? I started in the Air Force. So I actually started in a very similar light, a lot of killer method, a lot of leash work, a lot of high pressure, you know, like working dog stuff that we would, we were training dogs on Lackland Air Force Base and just sending them wherever they needed to be. And after that, you and I met, you know, and, and then it was, it was Bobby and you and Corey and, uh, you know, just kind of learning things and, and figuring out the ins and outs of more leash work that was kind of more tailored to a client's perspective, as opposed to a dog with a very specific job to do, but more of a well-rounded pet that needed to know when to turn it on, but also when to turn it off, how to socialize well with other dogs. And, when we look at the balanced dog training spectrum, I was definitely in that same camp of being maybe a little more heavy handed and a little more, uh, there wasn't enough nuance to my dog training game, at least from a client's perspective. I mean, maybe for military dogs, that's the way to go, you know, but in that case, you know, now we're talking something completely different with like purpose bred built dogs that it's not quite the same thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So later in my training career, you know, uh, me and Brent have made this joke before. I forget, uh, maybe on one of our other videos and things, you know, you and I have similar yet very different training backgrounds because you were lucky enough to hang out with Bobby for like a really long time. Bobby Durafshar, a great behaviorist, probably one of the great behaviors of our time. Whereas I was kind of the different, you know, going like to different kennels and learning different methods. And, and we got back together like years later. We're always, you know, in context, we're friends, but like, as trainers, we found ourselves working together again a few years later, and we realized that there was just so much valuable insight that each of us had learned in our respective paths to that point. Mm-hmm. And where that brought me ultimately with training was I, just like you, really started to understand the value of food work and of motivational work. And corrections definitely have their place, but I would say that I just got more potent with them so I can do them less. I can do them softer, lower, you know, however you want to look at less it. Less frequent, yeah. Less frequent, right. And and still get a really good result out of it. And in so doing, I also got better at my overall understanding of dog training as a whole. You know, it's not just mm-hmm. about corrections. It's not just about motivation. It's about routine, socialization, behavioral development, and all these different mm-hmm. things. And that's allowed me to to kind of perfect my game. So to this date, I think that these days I'm kind of at my optimum in terms of, of my understanding of dog training. And of course this is going to evolve over time. We're always learning, yeah. but um, at this moment, I'm pretty happy with, with the package that, that we're able to present here today and, you know, and see what we can, we can get out of a uh, balanced training as an idea here. Yeah. I love it. 
I love that. Um, and uh, I guess, how do you feel about balanced dog training versus pure positive training? So this one is this one's a really a topic that I, I was really excited to bring up within balanced training was how do you feel about this versus this? Because you and I have have talked about this forever, how people in the dog training world and some people who aren't even like trainers. I've seen some guys on YouTube who aren't necessarily dog trainers, but they're kind of like dog training commentators that that's just their little like niche. Mm-hmm. Um, and they either stick to this side or that side and they kind of go and slander this or that as you're, you know, you're too foolish and you're too idealistic or you're too harsh and like barbaric. And mm-hmm. the way that I feel about balanced dog training versus positive reinforcement is I want to be 100% clear. Balanced dog training includes positive reinforcement training. And yeah. I do not think that positive reinforcement training is in any way wrong or foolish. It's, it's such a huge part of my program and yours too with basically every dog. Mm -hmm. And it's just the difference as I see it. It's our job to be good positive reinforcement trainers, but it's also our job to have really researched and mastered the other methods around positive reinforcement training that would help us round out a dog. Because I think that a, a real balanced trainer, their job is to train a dog and an owner and create a situation as we just talked about. It's more than obedience. It's routine and socialization and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Creating a situation that is as practical and pragmatic and safe as it possibly can be. So can you take a dog and maybe over, like if time and money and stuff like that wasn't a factor, can you take a hyper aggressive dog and completely train that out of them with food? Maybe. I don't know. I, I personally don't think so, but I suppose it's possible. Does that mean that that's the most realistic, you know, course of action that someone should consider? I don't necessarily think so. If an e-collar can get you there faster and safer and have a, a certain element to it of like being fail proof, like, you know, if the food doesn't get the dog's attention, the collar will type thing. Mm -hmm. Then I think it's our responsibility as trainers to recommend to owners to absolutely maximize this dog's potential for long-term viability and safety and happiness. Yeah. I think that's huge. I think that's huge. And I mean, just kind of like we talked about in the, in the pure positive video, um, you know, there's a lot of bad practices, uh, pure positive, but there's also some, some great things. And I think one thing of balanced dog training is we, it it definitely does pull some of the best techniques uh, that it possibly can. Some of the most efficient, some of the most proactive, some of the most um, engaging techniques, you know, all these, all these great qualities that you could want in dog training. It right. pulls, it pulls those techniques from uh, other disciplines. Right. Um, so let's kind of go into a little bit of what operant uh, or what, what balanced dog training in essence is. Okay. Um, if you were going to ask an operant or a, not an operant, a balanced dog trainer, what it is in essence, um, the difference is between pure positive and balanced dog training is we actually use, um, all four quadrants of the operant conditioning scale, right? So, uh, versus pure positive just uses positive reinforcement. They'll also use negative punishment. So they mm-hmm. will remove things, um, you know, as the dog, uh, to, to punish the dog. However, we also use, we use those as well as also using positive punishment, um, which is the adding of an aversive to change uh, motivation or, or a decision. Um, and then we also use negative reinforcement, which is the application of pressure um, in order uh, with, with, with the intention of removing that pressure once 
the learner does what we want. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, it's it's best to really teach people what uh, what the full operant conditioning scale looks like in practicality. So let's kind of go over it real quick. So positive reinforcement, as we all know, is teaching a dog to do something with the use of rewards. Right. So I give the dog a reward to positively reinforce um, a behavior and the likelihood of that behavior happening again in the future is higher. Now, that reward could be praise, love, uh, toy. Um, could be food, could be freedom, could be all these different things. However, positive reinforcement is usually something the dog likes, something that is desirable, um, and leveraging that to teach new behaviors. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, negative reinforcement. I think this is really important to talk about right after. Negative reinforcement um, is, is what we know as escape and aversion um, or pressure work, right? Which we'll, we'll hear it talked about in dog training a lot. Um, the way, the best way that we can kind of exemplify pressure or escape and aversion uh, or escape and avoidance is, um, is very simple, right? Like how do kids learn to be responsible when they're younger, right? Most, most humans are, most humans behavior is based off of the avoidance of something negative, right? So like we go to work, uh, most of America doesn't necessarily go to work because they like their jobs. If you like I'm lucky to like my job, but some people go to, most people go to work so that they don't go poor, so that they don't suffer a negative consequence, right? Or so that they can eat or so that they can contribute to their family in some shape, you know, shape or form. So negative reinforcement is really um, capitalizing on pressure. So common one that we see with kids is going to be like, how do we teach kids to clean their room? Usually, the parental figures will apply pressure. Pressure could come in the form of being nagging, of potential consequence, of um, you know getting confrontational. It could come in so many different forms. Um, but pretty much the way that a kid learns to clean their rooms um, it, or the way that they learn to turn off their parents' nagging or complaining or attitude is by actually yielding and doing what it is that their parents or the teacher wants them to do, right? So in essence, uh, negative reinforcement is the concept of teaching something to yield and give in, right? And if we can teach something to yield and give in, well, this now allows us to shape new behaviors that maybe that character um, or personality wasn't, uh, wasn't inclined to do naturally, right? So this helps us a lot in behavior modification as well. Um, Positive punishment is the simple adding of something aversive um, or a consequence. We're adding a consequence to a bad decision so that that bad decision does not happen again in the future. This is, in dog training, is known as the basic correction, right? There's a variety of different things it could be. Um, And then we have negative punishment, which is the removal of something desirable from the dog. Uh, We call this the penalty rule. So very similar to how when we get caught speeding on the interstate, you know, they don't take our car away necessarily. However, they take our money away in the form of a ticket. So this is called negative. They're taking something away that is desirable from us to teach us a lesson or to punish behavior. If you go fast enough, they'll take your car away. Yeah. If you go (laughs) fast, if you go fast enough many times in a row, they will take your shit away. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So this is the full operant conditioning scale. Um, in its entirety, we have rewards, we have escape and avoidance, um, or yielding, 
we have um, the corrections or punishments, um, and then we also have the penalties, right? And we use all of four, four quadrants of this uh, in a very diverse and dynamic way to be able to shape and, and teach behaviors um, and also to be able to create systems that are easily um, mimicked by dog owners mm-hmm. as well. That's very important. 100%. Yeah, I think that – but this ultimately ties into when we think of the four quadrants – of conditioning. I believe, and you tell me if you agree with this, every single dog training method falls somewhere within those four quadrants. That That's basically an all-inclusive mm-hmm. approach. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, when we talk about a multidisciplined approach in dog training, and, and you know, I know that we wanted to bring this up for sure, was how just how positive reinforcement training in the public eye has kind of taken on a different meaning and it's kind of become like idealized and the word balanced has gotten a little wonky over the years too. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know that we wanted to clear the air there before we continue with the word balance. So when we consider multiple, excuse me, multidisciplined approach to training, the word balance, like we talked about before, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're perfectly 50% here, 50% there or 25 with four different methods of training. What we're referring to is you have a dog and its core issues or, or, you know, a dog, let's say doesn't have any issues like a puppy. I mean, it'll still have certain things like lack of focus and whatever else, minor issues. Mm-hmm. But then you have now, there's several factors in dog training that our, our young dog trainer friends need to keep in mind whenever you're assessing a dog and assessing a client with an evaluation for potential training clients uh, or, or writing up your programs overall, if you're doing it just for your website or whatever the case, it's not just about the dog. Where the dog is right now, issues and things like that, all the all the core, you know, pedigree information falls into that. What's the breed? What's the age? What's mm-hmm. going on here? Um, that's one thing. The other aspect to that can be the owner because you can have two identical dogs with two very different owners looking for two very different things. Mm-hmm. That plays a huge role in the type of training you're going to do because, again, it's your job to do the best job for them in their particular household. Mm-hmm. And that changes depending on what that household looks like. That is the information that you need to start piecing together in order to kind of dial in a training program that is most efficient. And when we when we find that balance, it may not be 50-50. It may be 20% this, 30% this, and like, you know, whatever the remaining percentage of this, 50, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I wanted to kind of bring that up and I wanted to hear your thoughts a little bit on the word balance because, uh, you know, it, it has gotten a little weird and I'm glad you brought that up, and, you know, just before we started this whole thing. And I, I definitely want to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah. So <laughs> it's funny cause I'm a Libra, right? <laughs> so balance is our thing. So maybe so that's my, about, yeah, you're a Libra too, right? Yeah. Uh, balance is our thing. Uh, I don't want to get into that stuff, but, <laughs> but, but kind of, kind of how like horoscopes get kind of hokey and they get a little too spiritual right. or they get a little bit, they're not, they don't, they're not scientific, right? The, the word balance over the years have kind of become, this uh, had the same interpretation, right? We always think balanced as in Zen or balanced as in, um, you know, uh, spiritual or whatever it might be, right? Now, there are some people in the industry that have kind of taken the word balanced and they've turned it into uh, something spiritual or hokey. However, as a, as balanced dog trainers, balance is, 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 is about, uh, you know, balancing the scale, right? Like if I were to take a dog's behaviors, and, and good and bad behaviors and put it on a scale 
and I saw that it was out of whack, how could we balance that out, right? Mm -hmm. How could we, in essence, neutralize bad behaviors and increase positive behaviors? Like, how can we do that? In order for that to happen, if we are trying to control uh, the negative and the good behaviors, and at the same time, then that means we need to have an understanding and a competency in both uh, how to motivate and how to, um, you know, uh, eliminate bad behaviors, right? Uh, motivate and eliminate behavior, right? So um, that's the gist of that. But uh, ultimately, the original term balanced is really just supposed to mean um, we don't pick a side necessarily, right? right. We're, like, we're like that independent, <laughs> right? We're not Democrat, we're not Republic, we're that independent. We, we both love dogs, um, but we're not necessarily going to pick a team per se because we see the value of both teams. We also respect both teams. And to pick one team over the other would not be um, the wisest for the dog in our, in our opinions. Right. Yeah. And the owner, you know, in the house and the, and the owner or the household. Yeah. To, to limit our knowledge base and picking teams um, in essence, balanced dog trainers are constantly seeking balance for their dogs. Would you agree if I said, you know, people listening, consider balanced dog training to mean neutral dog training. You know, okay. we're not here. We're not there. It's whatever the dog needs. It depends. I don't know. It depends on the situation. Right. I think, I think neutral, I think neutral doesn't, to, in my personal opinion, doesn't give me the best amount. Well, I get what you're saying. We're just not picking sides. Yeah. Neutral is right. definitely a better word than maybe the perceived, uh, you know, connotation of balance, but, um, yeah, we're not picking sides. I think that's the, that's the most important thing. It's okay. Me. I mean, it was just, I'm just throwing it out there. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that we like start coining training from here on out as neutral. I just, for people right. listening, I like the term balanced dog. It just has that, like, I guess, ring to it that it's kind of I developed think, over time. I think one thing, and one thing I, I kind of want to, I, I want to just put out in the ether and see what happens. Let's go ahead and, and I'd like to refer to balanced dog training as a spectrum of training, right? So I have always looked at dog training as, uh, there's as many methods and philosophies and approaches to dog training as there are colors in the rainbow. Right. Um, so, so ultimately is every practice and application of a technique or method, uh, can be done differently in many different degrees and married in many different shades, if you will. Um, and it's going to change based on the dog, the owner, the personality, the trainer, et cetera. Right. So in essence, in my mind, it's always looked like a color wheel or like a spectrum blue, you know, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, purple. Um, and, balanced dog trainers learn how to navigate that spectrum of dog training. Right. And let, let me shameless plug you one more time. So I believe it was exactly 10 episodes ago. It was episode two or episode three that we talked about finding a way in which we could simplify and, and dial down a way for an owner to seek out information that would bring them to a program that would be sort of bespoke to their personal needs. Mm -hmm. Their dog taken into consideration, their situation taken into consideration and all things considered finances, location, like maybe there isn't a certain train, you know, so I know that you and I have talked in the past about, and we're still working on this guys, uh, creating a program, a way to streamline all the endless information out there in order to find something that will realistically work for you in particular, not like a cookie cutter approach to dog training. Like we see too often. Yeah. Now with that being said, I just wanted to add, and this kind of segues a little into 
into our next point of, you know, a good balanced dog trainer. I completely agree that training overall exists on a spectrum. There's this, there's this, there's this. The only thing I wanted to add to it was keep in mind, everyone, each individual training methodology. Let's say you're not a balanced dog trainer. Let's say you only believe in one method and you're just listening to this just to hear what's out there, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, if we have like any pure positive guys out there listening right now, even pure positive training in and of itself exists on a spectrum. I was working mm-hmm. with a client today. I had two lessons today and, and I would worked with one client today in particular that we were doing uh, strictly food work because it was our first lesson together and I wanted to shape behaviors and their dog was so rambunctious that I had to be really quite precise with my, you know, and I, I had to be like myself, almost a little more stoic in my motion to not overexcite right. the dog and they're jumping and then I'm, I'm right. losing their focus. But as the lesson went on, it's hot out here, by the way, I'm in, I'm in Arizona. It was like a hundred. <laughs> so, oh, Lord. so the dog like conked out pretty quick. And as he did, I had to turn up my energy a lot in order to keep mm-hmm. the dog motivated. So even within one particular realm of training, there is that spectrum that you have to learn how to play with. And a balanced dog trainer knows how to do that within each particular method and then knows how to do it with a few other methods at the same time. So it can be like right. your food work looks like this within the food work you know, spectrum, but your other work looks like this within that particular spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. No, it makes sense. Makes sense. And I think it's 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 kind of learning the 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 interpersonal workings of each method. Right. You know, exactly. How to, how to communicate that method effectively to the dog. Ex- right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So let's get into, I think our next subject we want to talk about is, uh, did we, t- we talked about what people think it is, right? Or how it can kind of be misinterpreted. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's go ahead and go into, just as we did at the other episode, let's talk about what, um, what good practices in balanced dog training looks like, right? Um, because this is, this is going to be really uh, hard, uh, or it's, it's hard for everyone to say that they've done this before. Okay. So let's go ahead. What do you got? Okay. Um, well here, I'm going to go over a couple points, but I'm going to let you start because our first point in particular is one that Bobby, you know, Bobby Girafshar, who I know Bobby, but, but you've known Bobby for ever. And, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and just knowing you guys, as I have like together, you know, Bobby has always had like, he's always really kind of looked out for you and really made it a point to be there for you, which I think is great. So I'm going to let you speak on Bobby. Sure. Um, sure, But but the one that I think that applies to this is Bobby definitely had a way of formulating his training approach in such that he would teach us read the dog and let the dog tell you kind of what they're looking for from you. It's all about being present with the dog, tune all the other stuff out. You create the energy in any training session that you want to be there. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's, it's, it it was definitely like in a good way, it was a very heavy thing to have to pick up and run with because it was like, when you have great training lessons, it's like, well, good for you. But when you're out of whack, you know, it, it was hard. It was good and I'm glad, but, but it was hard when like, you know, I'm having a bad day for whatever reason. And, you know, and, and you call me out, you know, cause we're friends. You just tell me like it is. And it's like, dude, you're, you're like sucking right now. What's going on? <laughs> you're sick. But it's good though. I I appreciate the honesty. And, and I think that it's yeah. ultimately very beneficial for us as trainers because we have an obligation to this dog and this client. Exactly. So, you know, exactly. so as much as I don't want to get into the whole hokiness and then I'll let you take over. 
um, about like about balance and Zen and, and stuff like that, you know, and I'm not making fun of anybody's like ideals, but to the extent that I do agree with you, there does need to be balance even within the trainer. If you're like upset or whatever the case, yeah. knock yeah, that out. Great, great point. Great freaking point. That's so important. Um, I think, I think on, on two, on two scales here, um, one part of being a really good balanced dog trainer is you have to constantly seek out balance for each and every dog that you work on. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, now sometimes, you know, we might notice patterns in dog training. So we might have like certain ways that you start or certain things you like to focus on because they interest you. Um, however, there, there gets to this point where in order to make the most amount of progress, um, and in order to really start seeing like lifelong changes in dogs, we have to really understand dogs at a very deeper level. And, and one thing that, that my mentor Bobby taught me, um, amongst many things was, was really making sure that you figured out what the best way to bring balance to all the variables are mm -hmm. right um and so sometimes the the balance and of the variables is the home environment or the types of owners that we're dealing with right are they consistent are they inconsistent are they going to do the work are they not going to do the work are they overly um, emotional are they overly emotional are they heavy-handed are they right mean? right you know? so there's so many different things and part of whatever training method that we were going to imply at the time it had to bring balance as much of balance as possibly as possibly possible um, to that circumstance. Right. Because ultimately what our goal was, and one thing he used to always say, and he still says it to this day, he goes, you know, my client is the dog. The human just takes care of my client, <laughs> you know? And so he would say that all the time. And it's the truth. You know, if you put yourself in the mind space and the head space of like, how do I make this dog, live the optimum life, then it's, it, it definitely becomes a whole different mission than just being a better trainer than the guy next to you. Right. right. Or make, or making that sale or, you know, getting that client, you know, making that client happy. It, it becomes about making your four legged client happy. Right. So I think that's one great thing about any, any balanced dog trainer. And it, you know, it, there is no, there is no, um, finish line to that journey, if mm -hmm. you will. It is constantly, as long as you are seeking um, to get better every single time you work with the dog to become more balanced, to find harmony in that in that circumstance with that dog owner, that environment, their behavior problems, et cetera, et cetera, then you are on the right path, uh, at right. least becoming becoming a balanced dog trainer. Right. Um, in essence, balanced dog trainers don't really like to say they quit. <laughs> right. There's always something else to learn or, or something else to do um, or something else that they can try uh, with a dog, because at the end of the day, it's for the dogs. Okay? Well, you know, all of dog training is about evolution. So when we consider perfection in its like not in its weird abstract, but in its practical, like my client's dog's issues are this. We need to get them here. Let's mm -hmm. say you get them there. Now, even that finish line is a moving target, because, again, life goes on. So what if the client is? a young couple who hikes all the time, blah, 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 five, 10 years later. Now there's children. Now we're talking something mm -hmm. different. So now the finish line has been moved a little bit. So it's always a matter of just dialing in and keeping everybody where they need to be. And, and also dogs evolve over time too. You know, a six month old mm -hmm. puppy won't be the same, like behaviorally speaking as a three-year-old dog for many reasons. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's always this fun. It's always this ever-changing thing. And it's really nice as dog trainers that 
you know, I love meeting new clients all the time, but I, I really love also getting to see, you know, previous clients who are back like a year later, I see how the dogs grow. I just saw, you know, uh, Thor and Waffle. I just had an Instagram made. It's a couple mm, dogs that we've worked with. Yeah. Waffle's so huge now. And like, I'm sure it's a puppy. Yeah. And he's, you know, he's, it's great to see them and it's great to hear that they're doing well and, and how they've changed so much and how the owners have evolved with the, with the information that we've given them and they've kind of made it their own. And, and I think that that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. That is great. Um, okay. Sounds good. So let's, let's get into another thing that we think would be a good, is a good practice for pup or for balanced dog training. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing is to master or be proficient as to with as many techniques or methods of dog training as possible. Right. Because I know one thing that, that I've learned in my own career is that if I didn't obsess over certain techniques, um, you know, whatever they, they were, it could be, you know, advanced food work or clicker training or marker, marker training in general, um, Keeler method, um, you know, off leash work, uh, e-collar work. If I have, if I didn't obsess over learning those methods, I wouldn't have learned the limits of each of those methods because mm-hmm. each method has a limit, just like every martial arts has a limit, right? Um, it's really important to test out those methods, test out those theories, test out the way you wield those methods and those theories um, to really get a better understanding of, of uh, how, how effective you can be within any given method. That's super important, right? Um, also making sure that you surround yourself with mentors who can teach you what those method, the, the extent of those methods as well, right? right. Because, um, you know, learning something via, via a book or a video is one thing, but definitely having a mentor who can teach you and show you is super important as well so that you can even expand those limits to even a further place, right? Um, and then another aspect um, that I think is invaluable to a lot of dog trainers it is strange um, how this exists, but there are dog trainers who are not who don't understand actual dog behavior, um, and they don't necessarily know how to how to read a dog's body language effectively, right? And it's this is this makes sense because some of the times the o- the only way one can actually learn dog body language or behavior is by spending time with lots of groups of dogs right on an individual basis and on a group basis and not every dog trainer has that ability uh to be able to you know see groups uh, big groups of dogs and how they interact with each other and read body language on a daily basis mm-hmm. right what are your thoughts on that no i agree i think that i've learned so much that's helped me be a better trainer and training is typically no more than like two three dogs in a home at a time but i've learned so much that has helped me dramatically improve my training game from daycare stuff and mm-hmm. seeing how dogs behave when there's like 20, 30, 50 of them at a time and how a group can influence, you know, another group, like let's say six dogs doing whatever and six other dogs see this versus like, you know, it, there's a certain like amplification to having like multiples of dogs. Like one dog is, mm-hmm. you know, has this going on when there's two dogs in the house. It's not twice that it's like six times that because they rile each other up. And now there's all right. these different variables that have been created because of their several dogs. So I agree. Right. Right. Yeah. So understanding body language, dog body language and behavior is super important. Uh, I remember some assignments would be, you know, at, at my old company, if we didn't have enough dogs in daycare, we would literally, uh, one of our assignments would be to go to the dog park and mm-hmm. study and mm-hmm. watch dogs interact with each other and try and come up 
with interpretations of what conversations they were having with one another, with the humans. And it's crazy. Like, like, I mean, think of, this is kind of off topic, but like how many dogs have you seen poop in, in your career? I don't even know. I don't want to know that number. Why am I thinking like, like it's, it's, it's uncountable. Right. Right. But think of how good you are at being able to predict when a dog has to go to the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know I what agree. I mean? Like something so subtle yeah. and so nuanced that you pick up on it and and you just you're able to see language fluently. Dog let me, body language. Go ahead. Let me give context to what you've just said too, because I had this earlier. Mm-hmm. I was walking a dog. Uh, this was our second e-collar lesson, and I believe our fourth lesson overall. So we started with mm-hmm. food work, moved to leaf pressure at the e-collar. Mm-hmm. Now, this dog has it has a history of being reactive on the leash, being not reactive inside the house, but being just too much in the house, jumping and, you know, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so after having done our first e-collar lesson last Saturday, they did really good work this week. And today the dog looked great and mm-hmm. we were healing and I couldn't be more happy and I couldn't be more impressed. I was proud of them. I was telling them how proud I was of them. And right toward the end of the walk dog started pulling and the client was, was being tuned in. I was walking the dog client was being tuned into me, really make like paying attention to when I was correcting what I was doing with my leash, with my collar, with my verbal no and goods and markers. Um, so when the dog started pulling toward the grass, they were like, are you, are you doing this? Are you doing that? And I said, no. And I released him break. And I told them, you know, just, according to how things are going and how well this dog is doing and how obstinate he's being just all of a sudden, I think he has to poop. I don't yeah. think he's being stubborn. I think he has to go. Yeah. Yeah. And so he goes into the grass, boom, poops like a little while later. And oh, yeah, there we yeah. go. And then yep. throw him back in heel. And the dog was great again. And I was like, yeah, so, <laughs> so it is good to know these things. Yeah, it's true. I mean, uh, poop. I mean, we all know the, the, the feeling of a good poop, but it's just the little, the little nuances of, of understanding dogs' comfortability and and desires and motivation, excitement, all those things, fear, all those things are really, really important. And that honestly helps us in the knowing of what method, idea, um, you know, technique that needs to be executed at that time, right? Huh. Okay, cool. So I think we did a good job. So, so far, uh, so, so far we talked about the good practices of, of balanced dog training. Mm-hmm. What are some bad practices that you could think of? in balanced dog training? I think the biggest thing that I see wrong, and and by biggest, I mean, not only the thing that has the potential to go the most sideways, but also the most popular thing that I see done wrong is people who are of a balanced training mindset, they're not balanced enough. They're they're not, you know, we're going to touch on this in more detail in a bit, but Every balanced dog trainer comes to the table from somewhere. They've got a pure positive background, a killer method background, or whatever the case background. And until you're confident in the later methods that you pick up along the way, naturally, you lean on what you know. True. So you're like a balanced trainer, but you're a little quicker to go to prong collar. You're a little quicker to do this or that. And I right. think that balanced trainers aren't always balanced enough at the time. Right. Right. And that's where it's really important to make sure you have a mentor around exactly. to help you troubleshoot because, you know, it's, you're, you're always going to default to your highest level of conditioning, whatever right. that is. Right? Right, right. right. And, um, and that's important. And I think that's like to, to, to be honest, to be, uh, to, to, to strive for balance is a lifelong process. Right. Um, and it's a case to case basis. The more dogs you train, the better you get. 
Um, but at the same time, sometimes there are decisions that need to be made right then and there, right? There are decisions that, you know, the scale isn't actually living in the middle. Sometimes you have to make decisions by going hard left or hard right, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? And sometimes that's how you achieve the big picture of balance. Um, you know, and this is, this is something is that was, that was said to me a while back. I, I don't know it specifically per word, but they said balance isn't putting things in the middle all the time or compromising all the time. Balance is created through making, making complete decisions, um, on either side until you've achieved balance and compromise that mm -hmm. way. So it's not compromising on the decision, like saying like, yeah, we both kind of win. No, it's sometimes I win. Sometimes you win. Sometimes you win, sometimes I win. And through that, we create balance um, and unity, right? So it's an interesting, interesting concept. But yeah, I totally get that. Um, some dog trainers are not balanced enough. Um, and it's just a struggle. You just have to, you have to keep trying. And I think it's really important to have a mentor with you who can help you rationalize why you should or shouldn't do a certain method, technique, or idea um, with that dog. Yeah, 100%. Okay. Um, I think one that I want to talk about that's really important is not knowing a training method well enough, right? Um, I think in order to really, it's important for you to really test your limits in a dog training philosophy, right? Because what you'll start seeing is you will start seeing where the other dog training philosophy may fill in those gaps. Um, and a lot of times people might dabble in training, um, but just kind of like, think of it like a person who like, like got up, went on YouTube and just tried to learn as much as they could and then started training dogs. That person wouldn't be well-versed in any specific method of dog training because the way that the content is spilled out lately, um, it is, it's all over the place, right? So it's really important for whatever you decide to do, whether it's marker work, do marker work for several months with many, 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 many dogs so that you can understand the limits of marker training. Um, if you're going to work with pure positive, do pure positive for many, many months with many, many, many dogs so that you can see what the limits and, and are on that. And when I say limits, I don't mean the failures. I mean, the successes and the failures, what can you achieve with, with, with that method? Um, if you're going to be working with e-collar, um, what are the limits? What are the rules behind e-collar and what are the good and the bad things that can happen with e-collar work? Right. So you have to commit to um, I, my feeling is you have to commit to a discipline long enough to be able to understand those limits within that discipline. Yeah, 100 percent. And let me add this one more time about the spectrum within training, because when you're deep diving into one particular training method, your particular efficiency or mastery of that method will dramatically factor into uh your like success rate, your hit rate, you know, so a, a kind of rudimentary e-collar trainer can deep dive into e-collar training and kind of come to the conclusion that like, okay, well, e-collar has its values and it also has its downsides as everything in the world does. Um, and they'll kind of conclude that, that, that balance is a little like, you know, there's a lot of downsides, let's say, whereas a better e-collar trainer would be like, oh, yeah, well, a lot of those downsides can actually be mitigated if you do X, Y, Z. It still falls within the realm of e-collar work. So definitely deep dive into the into the various methods of dog training that will best serve us all, you know, the dogs, the client, and everything. But really take the time to master it. You know, and Brent said it. I'm just making sure to hammer it home. Get very good at it. Don't 
kind of learn the rough ins and outs of it and then just roll with that for a few months. Get yeah. as particular as you can. Yeah. And work with many, many dogs. Right. That's that's the only way that you can figure out any particular method and training. Um, last thing I want to talk about is um, and this and this can happen across the board. Don't get me wrong. Um, but this is specifically with balanced dog trainers who pride themselves on, you know, trying to cater and customize things based on the dogs. If you have a very shallow approach to an issue, right? Or if you have a very a not in-depth approach to dog behavior issues, right? Mm-hmm. Like if if you may underplay or, or or generalize things too much, right? Like we might say aggression. Oh, um, aggression, the dog's being dominant. So X, Y, I'm going to handle it with, uh, you know, Keeler method corrections. Right. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I don't get me wrong. I'm saying this because I've been there before. Aggression Mm -hmm. needs to be controlled. Well, one thing I've also learned other than classical conditioning or sorry, other than operant conditioning, classical conditioning should be a huge part of a balanced trainer's repertoire as well. Mm -hmm. Right. Classical conditioning is the emotional association to something that at one point had a neutral meaning to the dog, right? So concepts like a place command, concepts like desensitization, uh, constant like patience protocols or relaxation protocols, like these types of things are super important to teach dogs uh, that involve a lot of classical conditioning. Um, And sometimes, you know, I remember when I was a younger dog trainer, it was so easy to just say, you know, this behavior is dominance or this behavior is pure adolescence attitude, you know, or this behavior is this or that. And sometimes it's, it's not smart as a dog trainer to just look at something for face value. We always have to really figure out why the dog is doing something and putting a label on it or generalizing it too much doesn't really give it, um, you know, it doesn't really, it isn't really doing our job as a balanced dog trainer. Yeah. So we have, make sense. Yeah. And I think the reason, a lot of the reason that why that is, is because it's, it's good to put a label on it because that helps us quantify it. Mm-hmm. Right. But what it needs is perspective. I think that's yeah. a lot of times what the client and needs. context. Yeah. Context exactly. Is king. Context right. Is king. You know, and, and the thing about like, if we were talking, you know, like earlier in our training careers, if we're like, Oh, but the dog's being, you know, he's adolescent, so he's pushy, he's domineering, he's whatever the case. You may not even be wrong necessarily. Could be. But even if you're not, the story still doesn't end there. There's still a reason right. for these things. I mean, technically, the dog pulling me today was being defiant, just pulling on a leash while we were healing. Right. But right. there was but, reason. But, but, who, but who are you to say that the dog knows what you wanted? Right. Well, that's well, that's well, the argument, right? Right. Well, my point is, is dive deep enough. You know, don't just look at a behavior as face value. Okay. So if the dog mm-hmm. is reactive, you're not wrong to say the dog is reactive. Mm-hmm. If the dog's bitten somebody, you're not really wrong to say the dog's aggressive, but mm-hmm. there's more than that. So don't stop there. Yeah. Why is yeah. the dog aggressing? Why is the dog reacting? That's where true understanding lies. That's where real transformation can occur. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And sometimes it just takes sitting back and thinking about it more stepping away from the problem, you know? So, all right. So just kind of recap some good, uh, good practices that we see is a constant uh, journey to creating optimal balance for the dog. Right. And, and for that experience for the, for the whole big picture of everything, uh, making sure that we read our dogs better. Um, and this includes their body language, their behavior. Um, also some good practices are make sure that you can be proficient or master as many methods as you possibly can. Uh, before um 
before, you know, if you want to consider yourself to be a balanced dog trainer, uh, when we're dealing with, uh, bad practices, um, not balanced enough. So that just pretty much means, uh, you haven't mastered specific dog training methods. It's okay. If you only know two approaches, but at least be good at them, at least master them, at least push them to their limits, find and seek out a mentor who can teach you and help you with those things. That's super important. Um, any comments you have on that? No, if you, you know, if you're having a hard time finding a mentor, I'd say reach out to people around you. I think a lot of dog trainers are only too happy to teach people because they, as dog trainers, of course, share the tenacity for every other dog trainer. We want to make dogs get better. And if that means helping you, then that's what they'll do. And, you know, we're trying our best with this whole thing too. So, you know, kind of stick with us and we're going to do our best to, to that exact same end there. Right. And that's the big thing. It's like dog training guys is a practice and, you know, the same way, like my dad's a doctor. And every couple months he has to do seminars and workshops to get updated on new information that, that the medical you know field is sharing with each other. And it's like dog training should be the exact same way. Mm-hmm. And we need, we really need to make sure that we are sharing information with each other, that we're open to hear someone else's opinion because for the last 30 years, it has been a competitive, I don't want someone to steal my ideas. I don't want, want people to steal my secrets or my methods, but the reality of it is guys, it's like, there's no real, you know, there isn't real original ideas in dog training. However, there are very, um, very special applications, right? There's very, there's very original ways of teaching and connecting with clients. And that happens on the individual level, Mm -hmm. right? So um, the more knowledge that we have, you know, each individual talent that every dog trainer has will be able to be brought to the forefront. Um, but the knowledge needs to be there, right? We need to, we need to be able to share that knowledge. Yeah. Um, cool. And so some of the wrong things is they're not balanced enough. They're not well-versed in training methods. Um, and they just need a deeper, which means they need a deeper understanding in those methods. And then sometimes we can't take, uh, behaviors for face value. We're going to really need to dive into those and figure out what the deeper causes of those issues are. Right. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much, I think we covered a good amount of what balanced dog training is. Um, so I guess let's go ahead and just, I want to thank you guys so much for being with us on uh, episode 12. Uh, this is a deeper look of balanced dog training. Uh, make sure that you add on Instagram, me and Mariano, go ahead and add Mariano at untamed dog co that's untamed, uh, CO and go ahead and add me Canis behavior, um, at Canis behavior. Uh, go ahead and check back with us because we are going to be doing a couple more of these types of episodes. A deeper look is our segment where we're going to dive into a couple dog training methods. Um, please also go ahead and subscribe. Go ahead and like this podcast. Follow us on this podcast. Um, leave a review if you guys can on any one of these medias, whether you're watching on YouTube or whether you're watching on Facebook, whether you're watching um, you know, a- anywhere. Just go ahead and leave a podcast. Go ahead and email us as well, um, dogtrainerspodcast at gmail.com. Um, I want to thank you guys so much for listening. Again, my name is Brent, and that guy over there is Mariano, and we'll see you guys soon. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Dog Trainers Podcast, a podcast created by dog trainers for dog trainers or anyone who's ever fallen in love with man's best friend. We'll see you next time.